Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Listen for a word from God. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to whatever message you have for us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we celebrated Thanksgiving this past week, and if you're like many households that celebrate Thanksgiving, you might do the tradition where you go around the table and all name one thing that you are thankful for. I think this is a beautiful thing that we should do more than just on Thanksgiving to name some kind of delight or joy or expression of gratitude. And you know, Garrett and I sort of got in a routine of doing a version of this with our daughter every day, inspired by the TV show Bluey. We ask her, what, is, what was your favorite part of the day today? And she can answer that question. She usually says something so great and cute, like, my favorite part of the day was playing puppies with mom and dad, or my favorite part of the day was eating pasta, or going to school and her whole face lights up, and then she always asks us, what was your favorite part of the day? And I think kids do such a good job with this question of what they're thankful for, because as adults, sometimes we sort of feel pressure to say the things that we think we're supposed to be thankful for, but kids always say real things that they have genuine gratitude about. A kindergarten teacher recently posted about what her five- and six-year-old students said that they were thankful for. And this is a kindergarten class in Iowa. Just keep that in mind. And here were some of the things her kindergartner said. I am thankful for mommy, daddy, and quesadillas. I am thankful for hot chocolate. I am thankful for my friend Anna because she plays with me when no one else does. I am thankful that my grandma loved the present I made for her for her birthday. And one five-year-old said, I am thankful for the Statue of Liberty. 
And keep in mind, these kids in Iowa, the teacher said, really, why? And she goes, I don't know, why not? It's cool. (laughs) I love the genuine expressions of gratitude that kids have. And I wonder for you this year, what were you truly, truly thankful for? Whether you got the opportunity to say it around the dinner table or not. This has been quite a week and a season in our country and here as a church. We had Thanksgiving and then many of us gathered yesterday to celebrate the way too short life of our building engineer, Jerry Johnson. This morning, we celebrate the sacrament of baptism. We decorate, we get ready for Advent. There's a lot going on. And we're in this kind of transitional moment. And I think if we don't slow down and name it, we'll probably miss it. In our profit-obsessed culture, we don't do well with transitions between seasons. The stores use their overnight shelvers to transition seasons when we don't even notice. We go from Halloween to Christmas without even acknowledging Thanksgiving based on what's available for sale. Many times we'll walk into a store and realize it's been transformed into a winter wonderland seemingly out of nowhere, But I think, actually, there's something so important about transitioning those moments, particularly this one between Thanksgiving and Christmas, between November and December, or here by the church calendar, between ordinary time and Advent. Today, we marked that in a simple way with the hanging of the wreaths. And I know there is something magical about walking into a space that has been transformed overnight beyond your knowledge, Almost like elves or fairies have visited and flipped their wands, and suddenly it is beautiful. But transitioning seasons actually takes work with our hands and with our hearts, and in real community, we need to be a part of that. So today, I want for us to look at this story of the friends lowering their friend on a mat to the feet of Jesus to help us think about transitioning from Thanksgiving to generosity. And the story goes that there were these five friends and one of them was in need of healing. And these friends get wind that Jesus is in town and they've heard stories about some of the things that he has done and the ways that he has the healing he has offered and so they don't want to miss the opportunity and so they come up with a plan. And the four create this sort of stretcher and they put their friend in need of healing on it, and they go to the place where Jesus is rumored to have been. But they encounter obstacle when they get there. They can't get into the house. It is so packed, and they don't want to risk just waiting and hoping. And so they decide to take further action and climb up to the roof and literally dig through it to create enough space to lower their friend down. So they begin to sort of pull him down, and they get him all the way to the feet of Jesus. Jesus looks up at these friends, I imagine, and it says he notices their faith, the faith of the friends. He looks at the one that is at his feet. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, I imagine if I was one of the four that had brought this friend there and lowered him, I would have been a little surprised and maybe even slightly annoyed at this first thing that Jesus offers, your sins are forgiven. Surely they were desiring a physical healing right away and thinking, we're still going to have to carry him out on the stretcher? 
And this line, too, raises some red flags for others in the crowd. There are religious leaders and teachers who hear Jesus offer forgiveness and think, wait, that is only something God should do. And so they feel threatened and a little alarmed that Jesus has said this. Now, they don't say this concern out loud. They just think it, but it's enough for Jesus to know. And so he confronts them about it. This is the first of many, many instances in this gospel in particular that would put Jesus on the path of disruption that would ultimately lead to his execution. I want to pause the story right here just to make a note that what Jesus is not saying here is that this man is paralyzed because of his sin. Jesus is very clear through the gospels that Having a disability or having a body or a mind that is differently abled does not make you any less whole. That you are still created in the image of God, regardless of your physical ability or your mental ability, you are whole. Jesus is not saying, I forgive your sins because they caused your paralysis. Jesus is saying, you are a whole, fully image of God-formed human but all of us are in need of forgiveness and hope. And that is a more significant thing to offer. And so Jesus does offer this forgiveness without strings attached, and then he continues on and does offer physical healing. He says, get up your mat and go. And the man is able to stand up and walk out with his friends. For me, this story is a wonderful portrait of generosity. The generosity of God through Jesus, of course, but also the generosity of the four friends. If there had been a Thanksgiving meal where they had gone around the table, I bet all five of these friends would have said, I am thankful for my friendship. And that would have been so true. It's a great place to start, but... There was more to it than just being thankful. The story teaches me that the way of Jesus is to do the work of turning thanksgiving into generosity. It takes work to move from thanksgiving to generosity, and these friends get it. The friends were thankful enough for each other that when the opportunity presented itself, they invested deeply and did something about that gratitude. They took the one in need of healing to the feet of Jesus no matter what it took. And that's a move that's much harder than it sounds to go from thanksgiving to generosity, to actually invest in the things that we're thankful for. I knew a city planner in Ohio when I lived there, And he told me one time about this phenomenon that I found so interesting. He said, people really love it when communities have churches and libraries in them. And they would do these surveys as they were establishing a new neighborhood or township or or whatever and interview people and say, what do you need in a community? And they would say, we really want libraries and churches. And then they would interview these same people later after Uh, you know, the neighborhood had been built or whatever, and those same people said, we never go to libraries or churches. (laughs) Sure, we're glad they're part of the neighborhood. We believe in what they do. We agree with them. It's a good thing for the community, but 
we aren't going to go. There's a difference between investment and gratitude. This is a portrait of generosity in this story that shows us what it takes to go from thanksgiving into action. The way of Jesus is to do that work. What does that look like? to make that transition in this in-between season time and to take the things we're thankful for and to actually turn them into generosity. A couple of portraits come to my mind. First is of my grandfather. When he was still living, my grandfather would always say, I am thankful for my neighbors. I am thankful for my neighborhood. And he put his money where his mouth was. He would mow the lawns of all of his neighbors for free every week in the summer, even when he was in his 80s. He would drive them to doctor's appointments. He would call their loved ones to check in and tell them what was happening with their elderly parents or grandparents. He loved so hard that he invested. I think, too, of some of you who name being thankful of being part of a church that cares about the unhoused population in Detroit, and rather than just appreciate it, you put your money where your mouth is and you invest financially or you volunteer with your blood, sweat, and tears and you offer services that are actually needed. And I think, too, of one mom who has two adult children. And this Thanksgiving, she said that she was going to try something new. She said, I am always most thankful in life for my kids. But now that they are adults and they are grown and they live out of state, I've realized I need to let that love open my hand a little bit and to sort of let it go. And so when her kids asked her what the plan was for Thanksgiving, she said to them, well, here's what we're doing. We would love to have you for any of it. But I also know that you're in a season of life where you're creating your own traditions. And so I want you to know that there is no guilt, and I want you to do what makes sense for you and your new family. And if that's not to come home this year, that's okay. And one of her kids, her daughter, uh, was in a new relationship. And she and her partner were trying to decide what Thanksgiving was going to look like for them, and they were building new traditions, and so they felt this great grace in that. And they decided not to go home for Thanksgiving. This mom sent them two pies, and they FaceTimed with her on Thanksgiving, but she said, my love, my Thanksgiving for my children is to let them decide what's best for them, not to hold on so tightly that they don't have freedom. It's hard sometimes to be generous because sometimes in generosity we don't get exactly what we want. Think of all of the things these four friends encountered as they turned their thanksgiving into generosity and brought their friend to the feet of Jesus. First, they had to actually take a step to become more than just a passive appreciator of their friend, but to say, let's make a plan about it. Let's take advantage of this opportunity of Jesus, the healer, being here. And let's build a stretcher and gather rope and let's invest our muscles and go to the place. And then, even when they got there, things didn't go as planned and they couldn't get in. And their thanksgiving turned into generosity by responding to the new circumstances and coming up with a plan B 
and going up to the roof and digging through it and being creative with one another in generosity as they lowered him down. And then even then, at first, they didn't get what they wanted. They were offered forgiveness when what they wanted was healing, and so they had to trust that their thanksgiving turning into generosity would be what was really needed and not just what they thought they wanted. Like this mom not spending the holiday with her daughter, but knowing that true love and true thanksgiving was letting her decide for herself. Generosity sometimes means letting go of our own control. And we're in this season in the church called stewardship where we have honest conversations about money, conversations that can sometimes make people feel really uncomfortable, but I think really all we're doing is asking this question to one another. What are you thankful for? And how might you turn that thanksgiving into generosity? How might you transition not just from appreciating things or being glad they exist, but to investing in them and loving them in a way that brings them to life? There's a lot here at the church that I think is worth investing in, a lot of opportunities that we have at the church with time, with finances, with resource, with creativity, and I see so many of you doing that in in ways that I couldn't have even dreamed up. We have opportunities to give to the Deacon Project for Christmas gifts for our partner students at Detroit Public Schools nearby. We have opportunities, many of you have given for the funeral service for Jerry Johnson. We have opportunities to fill out the pledge cards for the church for all of its ministries as we move forward into 2024. We have opportunities for committee ships and volunteer positions up in the sound booth and so many things that you all are doing and continue to do. And our question in this stewardship season is, what are you thankful enough for that you might really invest in, both here in the church and outside of it? I remind you again in that story, it was the faith of the friends that Jesus acknowledged before he offered forgiveness and healing. Jesus never says anything about the man lowered on the mat and his faith. He offers those things, seeing through the hole in the roof, the faith of the friends. There are seasons when we might have money or time or volunteer hours or energy to commit, and there are seasons when maybe we can commit our faith to share it with those who are in a season where they are without. And there might also be seasons where we have to be the one laying on the mat, just receiving from others, and that's okay too. What are you truly, truly thankful for today? How might you move that from appreciation into real gratitude and generosity? Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for this space, for the opportunity to worship, to transition seasons and in this in-between time to decide what we do with our thanksgiving to make it real. Bless us as we seek to follow you in all the ways we go. In Jesus' name, amen.